Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 542. Some might call these folk superstitions, but they know the truth. The safest thing is to avoid the fae, but barring that, you want to keep in their good graces. This is a story of Florian, Lady of Twilight, Lady of the First Quiet, Florian who is death to men, but a glad death, and one they go to willingly. Tempe drew a breath. It was a small motion, but it was eye-catching as he'd continued his habit of sitting perfectly still through the evening stories. Florian, Tempe asked, death to men? She is, he paused, she is sentent? He lifted his hands in front of himself and made a sort of gripping gesture. He eyed us expectantly. Then seeing we didn't understand, he touched his sword where it lay at his side. I understood. No, I said. She's not one of the Adam. Tempe shook his head and pointed at Martin's bow. I shook my head. No, she's not a fighter at all. She... I trailed off, unable to think of how I would explain how Florian killed men, especially if we were forced to resort to gestures. Desperate, I looked to Dayden for help. Dayden didn't hesitate. Sex, he said frankly. Do you know sex? Tempe blinked, then threw back his head and laughed. Dayden looked as if he were trying to decide whether or not to be offended. After a moment, Tempe caught his breath. Yes, he said simply. Yes, I know sex. Dayton smiled. That's how she kills men. For a moment, Tempe looked more blank than usual. Then a slow horror spread across his face. No, not horror. It was raw disgust and revulsion, made all the worse by the fact that his face was usually so blank. His hand clenched into several unfamiliar gestures at his side. How? He choked out the word. Dayden started to say something, then stopped. Then he started to make a gesture and stopped that as well, looking self-consciously at Hespi. Hespi chuckled low in her throat and turned to Tempe. She thought for a moment, then made a gesture as if holding someone in her arms, kissing them. Then she began to tap her chest rhythmically mimicking a heartbeat. She beat faster and faster, then stopped, clenching her hand into a fist and making her eyes wide. She tensed her whole body, then went limp, lolling her head to one side. Dayton laughed and clapped at her performance. That's it. But sometimes, he tapped his temple, then snapped his fingers, crossing his eyes, and sticking out his tongue. Crazy, Tempe relaxed. Oh, he said, plainly relieved. Good, yes. Dayton nodded and settled back into his story. Right, Florian. Fodness. That's the end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I want to jump right in and talk about Tempe's reaction. He seems extra uncomfortable about the notion of someone who kills with sex 
until he learns that he she just sexes them to death, like their hearts give out. Uh, he seems relieved when he hears that. I can't quite remember if we cover this in the book, but is there something specific that he's afraid of? I know that they do mention at one point that venereal diseases do exist and it's a big taboo in ADEM culture to get one uh, and carry one and especially bring one back to Ademra. I believe they, they mentioned that it's all but unheard of in Ademra because everyone's very clean and studious, but occasionally someone who ventures outside will bring one back and then it's a really big deal. Is that what Tempe's reacting to? That's a good thought that I, because I was also trying to answer this for myself, uh, but he, yeah, so I think that that is as good a guess as any that he's worried that she's some kind of typhoid Mary, but oh no, she's just like, like a, like a succubus or something. That's fine. She drives you crazy. No problem. As long as she's not giving you the clap. Fine. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, this also suggests that it's not really a local story. And I wonder if Dayton actually heard this in the end. Maybe he heard a version of it, but clearly Hespi and Quoth also know about Felurian. This isn't like a story that everyone's hearing for the first time. All the locals know Felurian. Tempe doesn't, obviously, because he's not from there. He has a different history. But Felurian is not so local, or at least Felurian, the character, is not so local that it's only in this area. It's it's something that any apparently well-traveled person would know. Yeah, well, to me, it's kind of the same thing as like uh, different parts of Europe all told stories about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, but they would all have like local variations on them or stories that like only like in Wales, no one... No one else in Europe was telling stories about Tristan and Isolde and how they connect to Arthur and the Round Table. That's like a Welsh variant. But the Welsh also like claimed King Arthur. So I feel like it's kind of the same thing where like Falurian is a pretty popular character to tell stories about, but different places might have different local traditions. Oh, like that's Falurian's Wood or or whatever. But there might be a Falurian's Wood in any number of places and perhaps in many of those places, they might be right. Like they might all be different ways to get into Florian's part of Faye. Do you know what I mean? Fl- yeah. Florian's wood is also what you call what happens to Quoth when he sees. Indeed. Florian. Well, <laughs> and what happened to, to two of the three hosts of this podcast? I, I also think there is a clue on the next page that tells us that at least part of, part of this story is a f- kind of familiar story, but there are also parts of it that, strike Quoth as unusual and striking. So I think that it might well be the case that the, like Dayton knows the local version of this story, which makes it interesting, but the it's still a familiar structure that Quoth has heard before. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense that they would have similar stories like this all over the place and some feel more local than others. Another way to think about it, this is something that was really big in my grade school for some reason. Like, there are many international, like, you know, China, India, you know, Europe all had different versions of like Cinderella, but they all had a lot of things in common, you know, like wicked stepsisters and like, you know, uh, an evil stepmom and, and you know, a, a girl who's like made to do like menial chores. Uh, but the details are all a little different. If no one else has anything they want to jump in on, I just want to say that one of the fantasy tropes that Rothfuss does very well, and he does it very well here, is the trope of listing someone's epithets. 
when they are a famous or notorious personage. You know, she's not just Valerian, she's the Lady of Twilight, Lady of the First Quiet. Uh, I am a sucker for a list of epithets of a fantasy character. Uh, and I'm a sucker for it in mythology and in history as well. Uh, it's always a good time and I'm always glad to see it. And Flurians are very evocative. Yes. Okay, I wonder what the first quiet sound is like. <laughs> Probably like nothing much. I guess. I mean, you could interpret that as meaning like she's one of the first like living beings in Fey or otherwise, right? Like if she was present in the first silence, like that's an interesting idea to think about. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. I forget. Do we know whether or not Valyrian has any children? Uh, I don't know. Because... I don't think we know that. Why are you thinking about Bast? No, not Bast specifically. I'm just thinking because, like, she's positioned right now as kind of like an Aphrodite. Like a like a, a sort of... She You could position her as an Aphrodite. And Aphrodite is a, is, like... All the gods are immortal, but Aphrodite always presents as like a young, beautiful woman. But you could also position Fullerian as kind of like a sacred mother figure if she was among the first living beings and she was responsible for like, you know, the birth of, of other beings uh, like a Lilith or a. So, so I, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeremy, and I think that is like. Certainly from what we're presented, that's a stretch. I think that understanding her age and where she comes from with regard to Faye, you could argue that she's like, see, I don't see her as being a mother figure ever. She's, she's really got a destructive figure. And certainly in this story, it's a horror story. She's something to be feared. And well, uh, you know, she's, she's death to men. It's her, her epithet. If I may, the, the mother figure as figure of, of horror is uh an a pretty ancient idea like hera famously is uh like the goddess of motherhood and like home and like being a good wife but she's also the enemy of like every greek hero heracles most obviously and she is like like destructive and vengeful and frightening part of the um Tradition of the mother figure is they're desexualized somewhat. Yes, yes. Say. That's kind of what I was driving at. That that if Fullerian and like I agree with you that there is very, very there's basically no no evidence for this idea. It's just an idea I think is worth thinking about for a hot second. Is that if Fullerian is positioned as a little milfier, then that is an interesting resexualization of the mother figure of mythology. And that is a really, really old idea. If you think about all those statues, I think the, the, the famous one comes from like Germany where it's like this really exaggerated fertility goddess. And she has like, you know, really, really large buttocks and breasts and like a really large belly. And, you know, they know what this is. Th- those objects come from like pre literate societies but one of the things that anthropologists have kind of put forward about them is that they represent this kind of like this fertility goddess who is also a mother but she's both like she's she's about sex and procreation but also about motherhood and like so i'm gonna jump right in here jeremy i something that i've also heard as a recent theory that i really like is that those objects are 
uh, a representation of how it, the woman perceives herself. Mm. Like looking without it, without understanding what a mirror is, without being able to actually look at your own body. If you look down, mm-hmm. that is sort of the the vision that you have. So, to, I mean, I'm not. I'm sure that they are in some way fertility uh, objects, but I think there's really interesting reclamation happening here to think of those not as like the womanhood encapsulated in the breasts and the body, but in sort of like, this is the female gaze of prehistory where it is the women who are creating these objects uh, in like, it's sort of like a self portrait themselves from their own eyes in their own words. I, I know we're getting off uh, off topic here, but I, I always thought that was really interesting. I like that yeah, as I, a theory a lot more. I have also heard that theory and obviously I'm not an expert in, you know, prehistory uh, or the archaeology thereof so i'm going to leave it to the academics to decide which of those interpretations is correct the reason i brought up the one that i did is because it's the one that ties back into my notion of Fullerian as something as an ancient goddess who could be a representation of both of those ideas but at, the reason i asked the question do we know if she has any children is because there is very little basically no evidence to suggest that she is any kind of mother goddess figure, except for the fact that Lady of the First Light, or sorry, Lady of the First Quiet, implies or could imply that she is among the first beings in the universe. Uh, So I have a response to that. Uh, I think all well-reasoned. First off, we know that she's old. She predates Myrterineal, so could be. However, I think that uh, the Lady of Twilight, Lady of the First Quiet, that's where she lives. In Fae, time is space. She lives in Twilight. As Quoth travels, the time of day changes. So obviously, Dayden couldn't know that, but I think it's true. And the answer is that she lives there. Interesting, however, that Bast is Prince of Twilight. There is a theory poking around that Bast is uh, Felurian's son by Quoth, which I don't buy, but... uh, I do like time travel shenanigans, so maybe. So I just want to be clear. You're saying that the first quiet refers to like the first quiet before the breaking of 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 night. Like it, it is also an yes. indicator yeah. of twilight. Yeah, that's what I yes. understood as well. Cool. Carry on. I want to quickly talk about Hespi. I, as I've said before, I'm paying special attention to Hespi in this read. Here's another thing she does. She is, or I read this as being rather empathetic and uh, unashamed. This is a good look on her. The men are not really able to articulate to Tempe what it is that Fullerian does. They are uncomfortable around the subject. Maybe they're uncomfortable saying it in front of Hespi, yeah. or at least Aiden seems to be, but Hespi has no such compunctions. She uh, effectively communicates it. She mimes it to Tempe, which suggests that she has an idea about how he likes to be communicated with, or at least has an understanding of his inability to grasp the language and is empathetic enough to understand and effectively mime the answer. Let, not to mention that it's one that is potentially like embarrassing to be doing. So uh, good on her. Yeah. Well, and she manages to do like, I think Dayton starts to make a gesture and stops. And I think he stops himself because he's like, I'm about to like mime, like, fucking my hand or whatever. I can't do that in front of Hespi, but I can't think of another way to mime it. So I have to pawn it off on Hespi and Hespi, you know, mimes it in a way that is not like body, you know, 
She gets the idea across without being crude. Yeah, and it's also like performative. You know, she she lulls her head to the side, like she she does a whole routine. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yes, it is good. It is funny to me that that Dayton, uh, who is a fairly coarse person, uh, because he has this, as far as he knows, unrequited crush on Hespi, he can't bring himself to like be be sexual in front of her, which I think is a very funny trope that I uh, I'm not displeased to see pop up. We Wait. do have a letter in the chamber, but this has been a long episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Jordan. I have, have, I have a thing on yesterday's letter that I forgot to say yesterday. Because mm. uh, we were talking about the the listener who wrote in uh, asking for ideas related to the wedding and Name of the Wind. And I was thinking that like, if the wedding's in June, they've already probably bought the rings. But if they haven't... Um, one of like one of them should have the blue stone like Denna's ring cuz yeah sapphires are going real cheap these days you can get like stones that are not actually sapphires though yeah you just go down to the lake shore find the nice pebble blue sharpie wham bam you're set mm. <sighs> and we will wham bam and thank all of our wonderful listeners on tomorrow's page of the wind, wind.